Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yes. Happy New Year. This is our first podcast, I think. Oh, my is gosh. Is it our first one? I don't think so, but I I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. I feel like it is. I feel like we haven't done one in 2022. Oh, my God. I don't. Let me look. I can tell us. No, we we did. We did um we did a show with Ben Weingarten on January. Oh, that's 7th. that's right. Okay. Well, that week was a blur because so, there was so the much anniversary. Of there the was greatest so much commemorating going on of the terror attack. It was the greatest terror attack the world has ever known. Worse than 9/11. Worse, worse. than worse than five 9/11s, Julie. Five 9/11s. <laughs> Not even just one. Five 9/11s. A gazillion times worse. Um, okay, so I, I was wrong about that, but um so the good news, we always like to start off happy hour with happy news till we go to the dark side, is that while the country is imploding, we are preparing to go to war, the southern border remains open and they're shipping uh illegal alien men to cities across the country. Uh inflation is still a problem, people can't find chicken or milk or eggs you know things we used to just like take we could get at freaking Walgreens now you can't even get at Sam's Club but the good news is Joe Biden took a break this week from his his hefty schedule (laughs) of creating one crisis after another to get some ice cream yeah um so every morning in the morning greatness I put in the president's schedule. So every day I know what Joe Biden does and I write about it. And if you want to know, you can just go to amgreatness.com on the upper uh, left-hand corner of the top of the website. You can find my morning greatness. And every day I see this guy has a real light lift every day. I wonder (laughs) what the hell does he do? The the one thing he does every day is he gets the presidential daily brief, which you have to assume is like maybe a 10, 15 minute thing right there he gets it every day so I was gonna say it's not like they have to start over from zero but then they might have to start over from zero every day you can't be sure about that with 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 uh with Biden but this guy has almost nothing on his schedule and I compare this to Trump who also I put out every day under the Trump administration what is what's on Donald Trump's agenda today and it's long you know Trump was meeting with people Trump had this meeting that meeting a war. I mean, it was very out there. That and he, he was, was on the phone me. with people like till one o'clock in the morning and then like starting calling people again at 5 a.m. Like, well, he the guy was on the phone with, like Maggie Haberman telling her stuff and then she would write some <laughs> nasty, nasty bitch piece in the New York Times. But yes, he Trump is notorious for not sleeping a lot. And he was very busy and he was also very visible in the press. He was always, you know, the press was always following him somewhere doing something he would wander out and just do like open mic night or something you know right <laughs> right, right out right. in front of the west wing but biden man i gotta say this guy's got like one or two things on his schedule every day and you know obviously not every single thing that a president does is on the, the on the schedule just because there's obviously national security issues involved with some of them but you could you want you would I would assume, especially when there's a public uh, sentiment that the president is mentally compromised and old, that you would want to counter that with like a schedule that is rocking 
You know what I mean? Like, oh, look at Joe Biden. He's on this call, that call, this coalition, this meeting, going over here, talking to Pelosi, talking to McConnell, talking to Schumer. But you just don't see that. It's it's crazy. So. Well, here's a, a couple of questions since you cover this. And then we have to play this clip of Jen Psaki because finally, what, 12, 13 months into, I guess, a full year into the Biden regime, the Biden reign, a journalist finally got enough stones to confront this witch of a press secretary about his light schedule. But before we get to that clip, because it's just hilarious, um, wasn't there always some issue about what time the president now the presidential daily briefing is different than an intelligence briefing, right? Or is that the same thing? Well, it's it depends, right? So the intelligence agencies contribute to the presidential daily briefing and it's a common, it's like everything just, but it's condensed. And, and uh, so yes, it's actually classified. And one of the famous things that Obama did is they um, circulated the presidential daily brief to a lot more people. Hence, so it would leak, certain things would right. leak out because normally it's, it, it's held very close to the vest because there are, there are classified things in there, uh, you know, different intelligence that we've been gathering. I want to say around the world, but I guess we want to say in the U.S. right now, since that's where we're, we're focusing on the terrorism. Um, but it, so it, it isn't the same as if he goes and gets a briefing um, from an agency on a very specific topic. But it is just like a general snapshot across the board of all the major things that are going on, like an update so and it is like but, I said, it is very like restricted in circulation. It's not like everybody's getting it in the White House. It used to be l- confined to, I think, maybe like the chief of staff, the vice president, the vice president, chief of staff. It wasn't circulated all over the place like Obama did. If I recall, though, it was always an issue, especially with George W. Bush, what time those briefings were taking place. And I think Bush was sort of like Trump, like an early bird. He didn't sleep a ton. You know, they don't drink. So, you know, they just like were up early. And then I think this was an issue during the Trump years. Of course, everything was what time he was getting the intelligence briefing for the day, what time he was getting briefed by his advisors, which I assume was earlier in the day, too. But Biden gets his at what, like 11 o'clock? Like, you know what? what it differs. It's every Especially day. It's getting back from his, you know, 50th weekend trip from that's his right. house in Delaware. Yeah. So the for both Trump, I don't know about Bush or Obama, but I do know about Trump and so far in the Biden administration. And honestly, it's it's in the morning. It's usually the first thing of the day, but it's also very it, it's different some sometimes it's at 9 30 sometimes it's at 10 sometimes it's at 11 it honestly is it's different every day and it's dependent too on like let's say if the president is traveling overseas right a lot of things like that or which trump traveled fair amount i mean he went overseas but he traveled around the country too so it really it it differs it it does it does differ now is this a big deal? No, it's just a stupid thing for them to focus on and say, oh, they're the I guess Trump got it at 11, meaning he was watching the Gorilla Channel. Remember the Gorilla Channel? <laughs> when, when Trump Which was a joke, to, but people actually picked people up. People believed it. it. Um, you know, the idea that media was trying to paint a picture of Trump like he's, you know, he's just 
he's just fucking around and McDonald's like watching Fox 11. Fox. Yeah. He's yeah. getting like a, a Big Mac supersized meal right. with from fried chicken chaser and a taco bowl. Remember that? And then, you know, he kind of like stumbles in his like greasy bathrobe to the Oval Office and he's like, you know, give me a tremendous briefing. And that's at like one o'clock. That's I mean, that's the that's the image that the media wanted to portray. And it's it's quite petty because, to be honest, it is different. The president, theoretically, is a very busy. <laughs> they have a lot of things going on. They have a lot of balls in the right. air. Right. And, um, you know, so it isn't going to necessarily be at the same time. Now, Biden's is usually pretty early. It's just that that's all he does. <laughs> it's he, he that that's it. It's like that. And then today he's going to Carnegie Mellon to give a speech about Bill build back Brandon, you know, his build back Brandon plan or something. Um, but and that's this afternoon at 2 p.m. So that's oh, no, I'm sorry. Of all things, he's going to be talking about the supply chain. Um, hah-ha. Oh, university. And that's what, <laughs> what he's they, doing. What are they going to do? Are they he's gonna going help? he gets his his briefing today at 10, 15 a.m. And then at 125, he'll be at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, and then he's going to deliver remarks on strengthening the supply chain at Carnegie Mellon. The only people that like him, I guess, are would be people associated with the university. Academia, I mean, right. where's he going to go? He's Certainly, if he tries to go to some, some manufacturing plant, they're going to tell him to fuck right off. I mean, at this point, he has either academia or CNN like green room though that's basically his <laughs> base of support those that's the base that those, that's the backbone of the biden agenda. and the new york times uh editorial board basically that's right so can that's we play right. that clip of john saki because every time i watch it it's hilarious for two reasons because her excuse for his schedule but just she is so uncomfortable which i love because she is just so wretched. She is the perfect <laughs> spokesperson for this regime, right? She is just soulless. She's filled with contempt for people. She does not feel like she's accountable or that the president is accountable to anyone. Um, and she just is personally offended whenever she's confronted with it. And this press corps is so compliant. Like they're apologizing for asking a hard question. It's just ridiculous. She could never have put up with the Trump White House press corps like Sarah Sanders had to or Kaylee McEnany or anybody. So um, if we have that clip, it's hysterical. So the president has nothing on his schedule today aside from the PDB. Can you shed any light on, on how he's spending his day? Uh, well, let's see. Um, this morning, I think he had some policy meetings, uh, also a PDB meeting. Um, he, um, later this afternoon, uh, I think is doing some remarks review. I, there are some days that we spend some time, uh, doing internal meetings and discussions, uh, with policy experts, with policy leaders. Um, and that's, that's what's happening today. <laughs> yeah, there we are. We are, are policying super hard today. You know, you would think that she would have a better answer ready for this question. Don't you think? But why? I mean, really think about it. Why? This is the well, same fucking if, schedule he's had for 12 months and he they've never confronted him on it. So, well, yeah, but they can't control Peter Ducey. I mean, what if he opens his mouth and asks about it? You know, that they don't have son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that dumb son of a bitch, Peter Ducey, um from Fox News. Yeah, well, you look, you never know like what question. I I, I get your point. I mean, I, I understand that there's no reason for her to have a good answer. It because since you know, no one's asking tough questions there, but I want to believe that they would have something that was reassuring. And instead, it sounded really crazy. Like some days we, some days we, who the fuck is we, lady? I mean, is that the, like, I feel like him and his mommy or whatever, like when she says we, some days we watch the new zoo review and then we play. <laughs> we go over our, our letters. My Little night. Ponies. And then we watch the Teletubbies. That, I mean, I, I don't know. There was something really unsettling about her answer because it just sounded so like he's a child. Maybe I'm pre-prejudiced against that. What do you what do you think? No, it was totally embarrassing. You're right. She said we. The funniest part is review remarks for what? He has no speeches. So what is he reviewing three days ago? What he's going to say at, at the Carnegie today? I mean, it's the same thing over and over. He keeps saying, what do you have to review? And I just imagine, you know, a draft that's like in 36 point font so he can read it. And I mean, it's he's just not reviewing anything. Come on, Julie. He's not. <laughs> he's not. He's not reviewing anything. And but the backdrop of his just no energy schedule is that the country is just inflamed with one crisis after another mostly at his because of him and his officials and yet he doesn't feel any need to do anything significant to address any of it well, so you know what well, you know what is it will help i mean something that is known to help um widespread national crises is going to go get some ice cream um you know leaving right. the white house taking all the secret service and all of your entourage um, and your posse leaving the White House and going to go get ice, some ice cream, which Joe Biden did earlier this week. And, uh, you know, I there's all these pictures of him. It's just it's really just sad. I mean, we have such, so many, so many problems right now that are affecting the middle class and to kind of go out and and go get ice cream. Because let, look, I mean, the way the White House works is. He can just call up the kitchen and get ice cream. He doesn't need to leave the White House to get ice cream. You know, remember that Donald Trump had a button where it would just bring him Diet Coke? Do you right. remember that? <laughs> right, right. Biden, yes. he can have an ice cream button. He doesn't need to go leave. And it's almost like in your face, the way that he would go do it in the middle of, you know, empty grocery shelves. People right. are whatever at some point in the next six months are supposed to get some coronavirus tests in the mail. Um, also, some masks, which, of course, are disposable. And after three days, you used up all your masks and they're just going to go into a landfill, um, uh, you, know, you know, from our friends who care about the climate. Um, so, <laughs> right. you know, why would you go out and get ice cream? It's it's just really a kind of a fuck you. I feel like, well, I don't know, maybe just. Well, I mean, John Saki told the country to just chill out and go get a margarita. So at least she had some alcohol involved, which I, I will give her kudos for that. I mean, I'd much rather have a margarita than ice cream. But well, didn't just, she tell people to go get get that they were just upset that their treadmill wasn't coming overnight from Amazon? At right. one point, she said, oh, your, your treadmill isn't going to get delivered as fast as it 
what normally would get delivered, it, it, it's like, well, <laughs> I mean, it's it's also like food, you know, well, and uh, and her just taking these pot shots, not pot shots, direct political hits against people like Ron DeSantis or now the governor of Virginia um, about his uh, eliminating the mask mandates in Virginia schools. Like she's really up there somehow thinking that someone elected Jen Psaki to anything. And you're not speaking on behalf of the president. You're speaking on behalf of the country, right? Your your job is to inform the country about what is happening in the administration. It's not for you to sit up there with that smirk on your face and denounce people like Ron DeSantis, who actually has a real job and is responsible to people and, you know, punishing the state for not going along with the regime. She really is. She she is a piece of work. I think that that attitude is so pervasive among the Democrats, where if you aren't like 100 percent on board, you know, that you're like a mortal enemy and that they hold you in low and low regard, yeah. um, especially her attack on DeSantis, which, um, you know, earlier this week, the federal government had. Well, let me give some background. Yeah, um, the treatment for COVID, the monoclonal antibody treatment, and there's three different companies that make it, has 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 been very successful. It's a treatment that Donald Trump got when he got uh, COVID and he had to go actually into the hospital and he was given monoclonal antibodies and he quickly, you know, turned around and was in much better shape 24 hours later. And this is a, a very effective treatment. And the states were negotiating with the drug companies about acquiring the treatment, which has to be given in in a hospital setting. It's you 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 can't just you know take a pill. You have to go in. You have to meet certain criteria. And you know it's it's an IV infusion, so it's in a kind of a medical setting. And so the states were responsible for working with these drug companies to acquire the amount of monoclonal antibodies for the residents of their state. And this was going very well in Florida because Ron DeSantis realized, well, hey, let's. Florida, which I might add, has an elderly population relative to the rest of the United States. I think they have the second oldest population in the country um, because old people go to Florida to retire. And so he had put up monoclonal antibody uh, stations all over the place and was really promoting it to get people this treatment, early treatment, you know, keep them out of the hospital. And then the Health and Human Services Agency under the Biden regime seized control of the monoclonal antibodies, which meant that the states no longer could call up like GlaxoSmithKline or whoever makes Regeneron and say, hey, we need this this much. Now, for those of you who are following the coronavirus um, or listening to Julie and I talk about it, this is it's very regional. You know, it hits regions at different times. It, it has different seasons. It starts south. It starts moving north. It starts to move west. It's everybody isn't hit exactly at the same time with this. Right. So it makes sense that as the states need it, they deal with the drug companies to get the medicine as they need it. And so this was working out well. But the HHS seized control of the monoclonal antibodies, I believe, because they wanted to fuck Ron DeSantis, who was doing very su- great success. You know, the hospitalizations were down, deaths were down in Florida. People were immediately getting treated who were highly vulnerable um, 
go, going to these monoclonal antibody stations that he had set up. So HHS seized control of them. And the reason they gave is that it wasn't fair that some states were getting, I don't know, more than whatever Joe Biden's administration thought they should be getting. And they gave the excuse, oh, well, you know, if Florida is getting all of it, but then Oklahoma isn't getting any of it. And it's like, OK, but there's not an outbreak in Oklahoma right now. So why would they why would everybody get the same amount? It makes no sense. This is part of their sick and twisted concept of equity that they're shitting out all the time. Well, anyway, so and DeSantis was angry that they had seized control of the monoclonal antibodies and were basically divvying it out. But then they went a step further earlier this week and they just revoke the emergency use authorization for two of the three treatments, saying that they were not effective against the new Omicron variant. Um, And so Ron DeSantis has been fighting with the the feds um, about this decision and also the decision to just take control of the monoclonal antibodies at, at, at the beginning. I mean, it's it's so it's to me, it's so transparent what's going on here. You know, I I right. think that the medical professional really should be the people to decide whether it's the Florida Surgeon General, who we can talk about later. They really hate this guy because um, they because he's black and he's <laughs> he's smart and he's right. not one of the idiots on in in you know the, on board with their agenda. But this is a this should not be a federal issue, and the feds have no business taking control over the me, over medicine. This is terrible. <laughs> This really? has been their shtick all along, right? There are no treatments for COVID, yep. only the vaccine. So any treatments? Well, there there are treatments. Well, there are not. You're not regime, allowed. To not regime them. approved, right? Right, exactly. So this There's is their. Treatment. This is what the Democrats and the media yep. have been doing all along, right? Whether it's ivermectin or. Um, HCQ, is that what it is? HQC? Yeah. It seems like so long ago that we weren't supposed to talk about it. I've erased it from my brain because I didn't want to be thrown in the gulag. But vaccines, which don't work, of course, as we were told, even though they've flat out lied about everything related to the vaccine, um, that's all that they can do to push it. So strip any treatments away and just force people to keep getting these useless jabs. Well, what they they claim the pretense for removing some of it again I mentioned is that it's not effective of against Omicron. But you know what else isn't effective against Omicron? The vaccine. Vaccines. <laughs> so it's just really it's it's surreal. You you really have to be b- completely brainwashed to still buy into this idea that this is in any way f- for the good of the public health because. You cannot claim that people have to get vaccinated with a vaccine that was made to to stop, I don't know, eight variants ago, right? Like this was, this vaccine was allegedly developed for the very first iteration of COVID, right? right. We've had a bunch of variants now, and I don't know, they're more contagious, and the Omicron has a lot more mutations in there. So the the certainly with Omicron, the vaccine is not, does not seem to be particularly affected, uh, effective against getting it because everybody's out there saying, I got it again. I got it again. I got it three times. Like people are getting, getting it. Okay. So to say that we can't have the monoclonal antibodies because they're not effective against Omicron variant, but still tell people they have to get the vaccine. 
to fight the Omicron variant. It's just, you know, if you're suspicious of the government, I mean, they're not helping themselves. This is ridiculous. It's just amazing, though, Liz, that now we are approaching the the two-year anniversary of 15 days to flatten the curve. Two years of lies, of destruction, irreversible damage to our kids, um, elderly people dying of failure to thrive in nursing homes, shut off from their families. Masks don't work. Vaccines don't work. The boosters don't work. Our kids are being still in many states tortured by mask mandates. Um, And but you still have so many people buying into this, like the mask hysteria. I don't know if you've noticed this in Virginia. I've noticed it in, in Illinois. You know, now we went from just these crappy masks and then people had double masks and then they had. Now you see people like ratcheting it up, wearing N95s and like giving you a dirty look. If you now they're giving now they're mask shaming just people with the crappy blue mask from China. It's just astonishing to me that people are still not, what is it, not even quadrupling down. What is wrong with these people? Didn't didn't the feds come out and kind of admit that those little, those shitty little blue masks or whatever um, don't work? And it's like, okay, they've never, okay, they've never worked. Okay, let's be honest. They've never worked. Right, right. Um, And so then... The N95 mask or the KN95 mask, which are not the same as the N95 mask. Um, okay, so people are wearing those, but also those aren't don't create an airtight seal around. I mean, if you're really talking about not getting diseases, the the people that wear N95 masks in hospitals, that shit is sealed up. I mean, it they have to be fitted for it to actually work. So the idea that the average layperson, like Karen or whatever, is properly putting on a, an N95 mask she picked up from Home Depot, the likelihood of that is low, that that is being properly used. I mean, it's it's a virtue signal. People are, are in a cult. They're just in a cult now. They're they not are. thinking. They're not thinking reasonably. They're not thinking reasonably at all. It, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I don't know where we're going to go from this, especially because. Omicron is not only more transmissible, but it's less deadly. It doesn't go into the into your respiratory tract the way that, and that's what really made uh, the other variants, especially Delta, more dangerous. Is that it was getting into low into your respiratory tract, and it was being it was spread all over your body, go via your lungs. Well, it looks like the Omicron variant isn't, doesn't uh, do that. It's not attacking your lungs. Um, so people I know that have had it, they said it's kind of like a flu. You know, one of my my best friends called me a couple of days ago. She got, I got COVID, and you know, she was real tired for a couple of days, and then, you know, she just had a headache, her nose. You know, that was it. She wasn't coughing. She could breathe. You know, none of the things that are been associated with Delta. So right. Omicron is less severe, which mean which is kind of good because apparently, according to the scientific data, people who are exposed to Omicron do develop natural antibodies against other variants like the Delta variant, which is fantastic because people who have the Delta variant don't develop immunity to Omicron, which is weird. But anyway, back to that, we should be happy that it seems like we're getting to a point where it is endemic. And now Omicron is kind of like the flu and, you know, but people don't want to, don't want to relinquish their power and control. And certainly 
more importantly, the general public, a large chunk of the general public doesn't want to doesn't want to relinquish their position on the soapbox, right, where they can shake their finger and yell at people, and give them dirty looks. If they're not, you know, appropriately gesticulating to the the hygiene theater. Terrible. Well, because <clears throat> if they do, then what? There has to be some sort of reckoning for what we have for what we've been through for two years, right? You can't just destroy people's lives, the economy, and people's businesses. You know, so much damage has been done. It will be a few decades before we really have a full assessment of what these lockdowns, masks, uh, mandates, vaccines, et cetera, have done to people, especially young people. So at some point you have to say, and, and you're hearing this a little bit, okay, all of this was based on lies. It was based on pseudoscience. It was completely made up from social distancing to the beginning, shutting down restaurants, bars, and gyms, which had nothing to do with the spread. To ma- I mean, we could go through a huge long list. Of course, most of it propagated by people like Anthony Fauci and Deborah Burks and Jerome Adams, who was the first Surgeon General, and of course the CDC, who you know, made all of these recommendations from the beginning, how it impacted the 2020 election. I mean, it would be nearly impossible to sit down and write all of the consequences of this, of these lies. So there's never going to be a reckoning. I mean, they're never going to do it. There's too many people in power have way too much to lose by going through and systematically revealing or articulating all of the ways in which this had has adversely affected the country and also the world. Um, the world, I mean, you're right. I mean, you have countries that will never recover. Oh my gosh. You have some countries that have seriously revealed themselves to be major motherfuckers, right? I mean, Canada, fuck you, Canada, and fuck you, Australia. I mean, these people are are nuts. They're they're crazy. Um, What's even worse, Liz, is these these third world countries or these even you know marginal countries who totally depend on tourism you know look at what's happening in south america no i mean these these world poverty has spiked in the past two years child marriages have spiked i mean you have other diseases malaria that have spiked because everyone's been focusing on covid i mean it's not just here i mean i guess you know it sounds silly to talk about well okay we missed high school graduations or dance i mean that's those are those are life uh, you know impacting things but when you look at the global spoke, spike um, impact of this. It's it. They are crimes against humanity. Yeah, they really sincerely right. are. You're right. And I, I think historically in the entire history of, of medicine, we've never really seen a situation where we quarantine the healthy people. <laughs> Normally right. you quarantine the people who are vulnerable and you, you know, we all know someone, they just had a newborn baby and maybe they don't want a lot of visitors because the baby isn't protected against, you know, real diseases like measles and what moms or what. I don't have any kids. I don't know. But you get my drift or you have a family member who is, um, you know, has had chemotherapy or and you, you keep them away. You keep them, you know, they they're you keep them uh, sure. limited. That's exposure. Right. That's how we do things. And pretty early on, we kind of figured out who was at a big risk for this disease. And so that meant either, you know, 
try and improve your circumstances if possible. And if not, then you are the ones that have to, you know, you have to be um, protected. Just like you go into the NICU in a hospital and, you know, there's a lot of protection there for these little fragile babies that are, you know, born premature. They're premature. That's we do. We don't put everyone in the hospital in the same conditions we put in, you know, a baby who's born at 25 weeks. Okay. And that's basically the the way that we've been handling the coronavirus here. And it's, you know, I don't think there's going to be a reckoning. I mean, I'm acidic, as you know. It's not a surprise for me to say that. I don't think that there's going to be a reckoning. No, I know. You're right. And I think a lot of people um, are not capable of mentally absorbing the meaning of what just happened. They, They cannot handle it. They can't. They can't handle it. People cannot believe that the public health industry and system has gone along with this because it's not just the feds, right, who did this. It's not just Fauci or Burks or Jerome Adams. It's it's almost every single doctor is gone along is along with this. They're they're out there telling their patients, "Oh, I'm sorry, you have COVID. There's yeah. nothing. There's nothing we can do for you." Or, you know, and they're. There's even things you can do for people who have COVID that aren't don't even involve ivermectin or HCQ. You could tell people to take some vitamin D. You could be counseling your patients all along. Hey, go do some exercises, get some vitamin D, cut your sugar out. You know, if you're have diabetes, like, you know, let's work on work on that. Um, But all the doctors have gone along, gone, gone all along with this. You know, they're preaching. They're telling their patients you have to get vaccinated. Um, and they've, they've well, you're right. right on board. There may not be a criminal reckoning, but we are already seeing an electoral reckoning. Yes. There's no doubt that these lockdown policies contributed to Glenn Youngkin's yeah. win in Virginia. Um, almost probably did defeat Phil Murphy in New Jersey, but of course it's New Jersey. So they pulled out whatever 12,000 votes that they needed at the last minute. I mean, it, I don't think historically you have seen generic ballot preference for Republicans as high as it is right now. I think you are going to see, we'll see extremely competitive races in blue states, um, uh, particularly in the Midwest, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Um, and so there will be an electoral reckoning, which will be good. I think there's an acad- academia reckoning. What is it, Liz? Like there are a million fewer students enrolled yep. in college than there yep. were in 2019. I That's think right. people are, I mean, if I, if my daughter wasn't already a senior in college. I mean, if she was going to be an incoming freshman with all of these rules. Um, And certainly I think parents are going to be choosing. I know I am for my younger, younger daughter, encouraging her to go to free states like Florida, not stuck in, um, you know, a continued lockdown state like Illinois, where they continue to torture college students, even though they require Vaccines and boosters and masks are still forcing these kids to test and quarantine, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess there will be reckoning in that way. But you're right. There will not be we will not see Anthony Fauci in jail. We will not see these public health experts in jail. We will not see the CNN commentators um, who have promoted this. You know, they they won't be fired. Right. So. Well, did you notice how some of them are walking back? 
Did you see how some of them are kind of like walking back the stigma of getting COVID because they're all getting COVID now? Because they would kind of look down on people who, who caught COVID because they weren't, you obviously didn't wash your hands enough or you didn't wear enough masks or you didn't follow the directives. You know, there's this kind of look, look down on them. But now everybody's, they're all getting it, you know, in their upper west side, you know, palaces or whatever. They're they're getting it. Too. They're getting it now. So they're kind of walking back the, the stigma. But, you know, it's important to say it's not just about Democrat or Republican. If, a, you know, the, I don't, I know that the generic congressional ballot looks good for Republicans. But if you're a Republican and you're running for office, if you're not aggressively opposed to this, you shouldn't you, you're not going to win. People aren't just going to vote for the Republican. They want to vote for people that are going to put a stop to this shit. And that's exactly why Glenn Youngkin did so well. And Jason Niares and um, the, our, uh, our lieutenant governor, they won. They were very ex- explicit about what they were going to do. And so these like sad sack bullshit establishment Republicans think that they're going to fucking sail into office talking about tax cuts you know, go fuck right. yourself because that's not going to happen. You know, you need to be vi- you need to be explicitly saying we're not supporting these lockdowns. We're not going to require photo ID or some QR code to enter public the public sphere. You know, at the same time that they're saying that photo ID at the voting booth is like too much. We can't we can't do that. Um, yeah. So it, it, it there needs to be I think politically, if you are a candidate for anything right now, your ticket to victory is being very explicit and forceful, opposed to the status quo policies that we've seen from the left. I very think cool. that there is you're sensing sort of the same kind of bloodlust on the right that the left always has. And I think you are going to see and you are already are seeing and Kevin McCarthy sort of alluded to this when they take control various things that they are going to be investigating, whether he actually follows up on that is one thing. Um, But I think a lot of people on our side want to see the same sort of abuse of power that the Democrats have done for, you know, the past five, it'll be six years by then against the Democrats. Um, And this just came across the wire. I'm sort of falling in love with this age, this um, AG in your state of Virginia. He's, he's, He's fabulous. I'm in love with him, too. So he can be our new boyfriend because he is. We need a new boyfriend. We broke up with Bill Barr because he sucks. But now (laughs) we have a new boyfriend. (laughs) We have a new boyfriend. And it's Jason Miares who just put out a statement telling the public schools that they can't, you know, just know, you know, with their vaccine mandates. He just put it out. Yes. It's it's over for Virginia State Universities. He is saying in person attendance, too. Can you imagine? Well, I guess you can imagine. You don't have to imagine because it's your life. But can you imagine paying out like a hefty five figure sum a year for your kid to go to college and then basically stay in an off campus apartment all day long? And that's how they Um, learn. I can because I've done it (laughs) (laughs) and I'm basically still doing it. Yeah, it's. I mean, and who's the stupid? Well, we are. But what can you do? Their lives have already been so disrupted. Um, And I mean, Victoria, my oldest, goes to school in a blue lockdown state. So um, anyway. You to tell Josie, she's either going to school in Florida or Texas. You're not paying for it. (laughs) That's basically where my husband is. He's like, Jos, we're going to be in Florida. You're coming to Florida. 
And if you're in Illinois, good luck. (laughs) I really, I think the reckoning, you're right, is going to be seen in private choices that people make, um, whether it's who they choose to do business with and where they send their kids to school. And also sending your kids to public schools in the wrong state, which is is many of them, is a real problem. And I want to be optimistic. I'm not, but I want to be optimistic and say that this has kind of been a really a wake up call and sort of a learning experience for people about what happens when you have too much government in your life. Because just it's great when you think that if they're doing good, you're bidding or doing good things for you, but on they can turn on a dime, you know, and and go against you. And for the most part, the massive bureaucracy of the federal government has always been against the common man. Um, I mean, even Trump couldn't do much about that uh, deep state, which is most of the a lot of federal employees who make up their regulations um, by themselves with no oversight. And I want to believe that people will make better decisions now, that they'll think twice <clears throat> about giving authority to the to their to the federal government, giving even authority to the state government. I mean, we saw state governors take tremendous power like that lunatic Gretchen Whitmer and yep. uh, in New Jersey and in New York. The, the yep. crazy shit that they did, they took control mm-hmm. over uh, things that they kept extending their emergency. I think Pennsylvania as well, the Democrat governor there was just extending and constantly extending their state of emergency powers. Um, you know, that shit needs to stop. People need to order their life accordingly and get the fuck out of that that dragnet of the government's the reach of the government on a lot of these decisions that we used to think were just personal choices. <clears throat> yeah, it's going to be um, I mean, they wanted a reset. I think they're going to get a reset that they didn't bargain oh, for. Yeah. They're going to get a fucking reset and they're going to get a reset right up their ass is what they're going to get. The most important thing is that people need to stay on it. You know, it's not enough to think like, okay, we're going to fix everything in the 2022 election if the Republicans take over the Senate and the House. First of all, if you put in a a bunch of Lindsey Grahams in the Senate, we're not changing anything. You know, we don't want that. And if you think you're going to put in a bunch of Kevin McCarthy's in the House and take control, because Kevin McCarthy is talking a good game right now. But Kevin McCarthy's a punk ass bitch. The minute the election's over and he gets control again of the House, he's not doing shit. There's he's not going to do shit. There's going to be no hearings. There's going to be no subpoenas. There's going to be absolutely nothing that is not going to happen. And and he just knows what to say right now. He thinks that that will make people happy um, and it'll be good for him in 2022. But you have to stay on these these fuckers because they are not you know, they're they're operators. They're not they don't believe what they say. They'll just say what they think they need to get elected. You're right. And Liz, I think that is the fear of not just Republican voters, but also House members who have expressed that, that they know their constituents want blood, right? They want revenge. Um, There are plenty of House members who feel the same way too, but the people in charge do not share that fury. And this is evident because you have people, Mitch McConnell, the Senate is going to be useless, right? So we could have a hundred Republican senators and they still will go along with the Democrat. I mean, it's just, they're useless. So the real energy power, I mean, we saw that during Russiagate, right? I mean, you had Devin Nunes basically alone in the House uncovering one of the greatest political scandal in American history. And you had the Senate over there pushing for Robert Mueller to be appointed special counsel and the Senate Intelligence Committee basically turning its powers against 
Donald Trump and his family. Yep. That's so right. we'll have the same setup in 20, <clears throat> well, it'll be 2023. But when you have new energy in the house and you get some of these new house reps, like say Joe Kent, you know, if he wins and some of these other guys running who will bolster people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Louis Gohmert and, you know, that group, Matt Gatz, who really want to, who understand, as Dave Raboy says, what time it is. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, it. we'll see. I mean, we'll see what he does. Of course, it will depend on who gets what committee chair chairmanship. So if you if you have it's some very weakling, important. It's very important if you're listening to this that you make sure whoever is running for Congress in your district is the right kind of Republican, because the more good Republicans we can get in the House, the more leverage they have over Kevin McCarthy when he wants to be speaker. And you can say, you know, because he will need every almost every Republican vote to, to, to get it and right. they can withhold their support from him unless he makes concessions. And I say Kevin McCarthy because I just don't think there's anyone else who's going to who would run for it. You know, I, I don't. Nobody really want, likes that job. There's a certain kind of asshole that wants to be Speaker of the House. You know, it's. Yeah, you're his, right. And he's perfect you know, for it because he, he likes exactly. to go on Fox and he likes to do the fundraisers and, yep. you know, go around and have people call him Speaker. Like, that's cool. But those aren't the guys doing the nitty gritty. But he will have to put those people in charge. Right. Exactly. But you have a guy who still won't remove Liz Cheney yep. from anything. Now, remember, I just want to I want to just take a walk down memory lane. Let's just go back not that long ago. Who was the first person that got rid of a Republican on their committees? It was Kevin McCarthy and he right. got rid of Steve King. That's what he right. did. So basically, Kevin McCarthy was the one who told the Democrats, all you need to do is smear someone bad enough and, you know, you'll be able to just get them, you know, you'll you'll have that pretense to kick them off their committee. It was Kevin McCarthy who kicked Steve King off. Now, we've lots of people have called for for like Ilan Omar or Rashida Tlaib. These people that have said things much worse than what Steve King said to get removed from their committees. They were not only not removed from their committees, they're on extremely important committees like intelligence or um, national security. And so these these folks have never been in any danger of getting removed from their committees. The Democrats would never do it. But Kevin McCarthy was more than happy to be the first one. He went, rolled over immediately, showed his belly. He didn't want any more mean stories about him to show up in Politico or Roll Call, or Washington Post or The Hill. So he immediately got rid of Steve King. It doesn't even matter what Steve King said. People elected Steve King to office in Iowa. He was on the committees representing his constituents in Iowa. And if the people at home did not want him there because they didn't like what he said to the New York Times, which he shouldn't have spoken to the New York Times, and that may have disqualified him immediately anyway, never talked to the New York Times, then they could have voted him out. But Kevin McCarthy immediately gave in, and they've never learned the lesson that the right is always the first one to throw their own people under the bus. They don't care. And yet, Kevin McCarthy will not remove Liz Cheney and Adam Kinsinger from their from the con from the conference, the G the Republican conference. He and he should do that. And if he really was serious about any of the other um, hard talk he's been doing this, you know, in the election season, he would say that he would say, we're going to we're, we're getting rid of you. You're obviously not one of us. So, well, we will see. 
They haven't um, done much, you know, to push back on the Biden regime except write letters. So, um, and I mean, they yeah. don't have a lot. They don't have a lot of cha- power, a lot of choices right now. But <clears throat> you know what? The um, the Democrats certainly did a lot of damage in the House when Trump was the president. Yeah, they sure so, did. You know, this idea that they can't do anything because we don't have the majority, you know, go fuck yourself because we know that's a lie. We just we just saw it. Not that not that many years ago. So. Um, well, we're running out of time, but I feel like we should go through some of the <laughs> some of the things, other things that we missed. Um, so apparently now this these are the rules when there is a call between a president and the the president right. of Ukraine, we immediately yeah. must release the transcript of the call. That's but right. that doesn't seem to be happening. You know why? Well, the, let me you can you can go and tell tell us why. No, you explain it. Oh, why? well, OK, <laughs> so there seems to be a, a disconnect or a mis, miscommunication of some sort because President Biden took time out from his ice cream tasting to give a call to the president of the U- Ukraine because apparently there's about going to be World War Three. Now, neither the Ukraine or Russia says this, just the United States. But anyway, Biden had a call with um, Zelensky, the president of the Ukraine, and they said the call, the United States, Biden said the call went very well or not. It was serious or, you know, um, you know, he l- laid down the rules or whatever. Um, I don't know, get to trying to put out his big, big, uh, big persona, how serious he is. And he warned Zelensky about this prospect. There's going to be an invasion by Russia. And the Russians, uh, the Ukrainians, excuse me, not the same uh, evaluation of the conversation. They Ukrainian sources came out and said that the call, quote, did not go well. Okay, did not go well. Mm -hmm. And the White House, of course, disputed that attack and then got all huffy because there was leaks. Can you imagine how how upset they must be that there were leaks about a call the president had with the Ukrainian president when (laughs) basically like that was like a year long crusade that they hung their hat on when it was Trump. So anyway, um, you know, there's been a lot of chatter about whether there what the US is going to do if Russia invades the Ukraine. And um, you know, there's no war and they we pulled out of Afghanistan. So it's kind of like what are the neocon and the warmongers gonna do, especially because Ukraine is like a, a dumpster fire of US corruption. <laughs> so it really I is. Know. I mean it, 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 that's it truly what it is. is. It is one of the most corrupt countries by it, it it's just basically run by the mob. I yeah. mean it's just a money laundering machine. So yep. we pretend that we're giving them aid, right? And then they take the money and then they hand it off to other U.S. contractors or say the son of a vice president, mm-hmm. you know, launder it through an energy company and pay him, you know, a few million bucks over four or five years. So that's how it's it's like a money laundering machine. So that's what we're doing again. Yeah. So um, obviously they're they're making a big deal out of this that neither the Ukraine or Russia seems to agree exists. So I don't, I don't even know what the truth is. I mean, is the Ukraine in any danger? I have no idea because they don't seem to think so. And we keep hearing, Oh, well, you know, we have to 
go in and protect our NATO friends. And, you know, we, we don't want Russia to, I don't know, do whatever to Europe. Meanwhile, Germany gets their energy from Russia. So, you know, that doesn't seem like something you would want to do if you were really worried about Russia is putting yourself in debt to them by needing their energy to function. Uh, so I'm not really sure what the U.S. is supposed to do. Uh, my particular inclination is not a fucking thing. Um, I have to say, I don't, I don't really care. Um, and it's funny because the U.S. and Biden and, you know, Jen Psaki and these flying monkeys are out there demanding that, you know, Russia respect the border and the integrity of the sovereignty of the Ukraine. When in the U.S., they don't give a shit about the borders or the sovereignty here in the U.S. So, I mean, kind of I would point people situation. to Miranda Devine's piece in The New York Post this week. Um since we don't have a lot of time to get into it, um, not only is the border open, but now federal authorities are flying these men in under cover of darkness into airports, including in New York, um, and releasing these migrant men who look like they're like in their late teens, early 20s. Military age men. <laughs> right. As Michael Waller described them. Um, into into the communities. Where are they going? And um, uh, one police officer confronted the private contractor who's flying these men all over the country and confronted him like, who who are they? Where's their identification? Where are they going? And they were getting into other vehicles and just taken off. It's yeah. just it's, it's crazy. Biden got his ice cream. Biden got his ice cream. So it's it's crazy. And this is going on, of course, unbeknownst to the members of the community where these people are being released. And the community really bears the burden of, of bringing in a bunch of people who are dependent upon community resources at the very, at the very, basically, at the very basicness of it, people who don't speak English, don't have a work, will need community support. I mean, the worst case scenario is that these people are malefactors and are terrorists. We wouldn't know because we don't do background checks on them or whatever. And of course, none of them are getting COVID tested. So they could be spreading COVID, which apparently is the worst thing in the world, unless you're here illegally, in which case, shut up, you're racist. Um, so this is just wrong on so many fronts. And a lot of these communities can't afford it because, um, as you know, we, we've a lot of places have been really hurt from the coronavirus shutdowns. And now you're adding right. even more into the system. I mean, it's just, it's terrible. And it's terrible that this is being done secretly. And it's being done secretly because they know that people would absolutely not want this. No, not at all. Um, well, I hope the Chardonnay wine moms in the rich uh, suburbs everywhere are happy with what they voted uh, voted in and then well, Karen you know. doesn't think she's going to be living next door, you know, to like some shelter for uh, refugees. She doesn't <laughs> for you know, Honduran she, uh, drug dealers. Exactly. For like <laughs> Colombian drug mules. She just doesn't think that that's going to be their, their her new neighbor. Um, so these these people tend to go into places with already vulnerable people in other regards and not in, you know, the upper middle class people that are cheerleaders for these kinds of policies. Um, was it was it DeSantis who said they, they were going to fly the migrants they dropped off in Florida to Delaware? To Delaware, something? yes. Yeah. Love it. But that's the best way to, that's the best way to do it. So anyway, we, we are at an hour. Um, that's wow. so, it went by wow. fast. Well, we had to make up for all of our lost time. Oh my God. I know we're, we try and be regular, but you know, we're, 
we're busy. And when I say we, I mean, Julie is in high demand right now. You're busy too. Knock it off. But not as busy as Julie, who has a book out. If you didn't get the promotion that we did on January 7th, Julie, tell our audience about your book if you don't know. So my book on January 6th is how uh, Democrats use the Capitol riot to launch a war on terror against the political right. It's available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, probably not your local bookstore, but you could pick it up there and we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. And if you haven't subscribed, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes. Happy hour, Julie and Liz. Thank you for spending an hour and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week.